Ethers at the top of the key. Ethers got to be careful. All the way down low to the right block off the backboard and in. Oh, I thought Justice might have had her pocket pick there with a defender coming up uh, behind her, but she's able to go coast to coast. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Yeah, really good energy down here at the TM. The tournament just feels different. On the men's side, Reno and Utah State have advanced. We got another game on the way. San Jose and a very tough Fresno team. Fresno wins. They take on San Diego State. That'll be a great matchup. Big rivalry there. We got the Lady Rebels going for it all tonight. Lindy LaRock is the head coach, and she gives Cofield and Adam Candy a couple of minutes here as uh, she preps for the big title game. Lindy, how you doing? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. First of all, why are you coming on with I would have turned this down. You're crazy. I'd be too worked up. <laughs> no, I'm I'm happy uh, you know, to chat with you guys here. I know it's kind of prime drive time, so I'm trying to get a few more fans in the Thomas and Mac for us tonight. Awesome, yeah, and tickets are available, UNLVtickets.com, even better, just come on down here and grab the tickets. You know, I I did want to get into the tourney setup and the fact that uh, it is a little different setup for you guys because you guys are staying at a hotel, right? Does that change things for you? Do you like that? Do you not like it? Um, I really like it. You know, I, everyone else, this is a road trip for them. And while, you know, we are excited that we don't have to travel, um, you know, I think our, our approach and, you know, our preparation has to kind of feel the same. So, uh, you know, uh, we, we came to the hotel here on Sunday and we booked, you know, all these nights and we're glad to use them all. And, you know, I think it's really just helped our team limit our distractions. You know, uh, they, they've had plenty of time to get their schoolwork done. And the biggest thing is we, you know, we can have meals together. You know, it, it, uh, it's just a little bit more convenient when, in, during this tournament, when, like, things are happening every hour, things can change. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of nice to be on call with each other. Lydia, as you try to keep that focus that the team has had through the first couple of games of the tournament, you do have a number of players for whom this is going to be the first time they've seen this type of environment. We know that for you personally, that's not the case. You played in four conference championship games at Stanford. What can you tell them from your experience to try to help them calm their own nerves tonight? Well, the best thing that they and all of us can do, you know, as a staff is it's just another game, you know, and obviously I think everyone's aware of what, what's at stake. But, you, you know, once the ball tips up, it's, it's not about that. It's going out there and executing, doing what we do, um, and doing it to the best of our ability and just continuing to play. So, um, you know, I'm pretty confident that, you know, once we get there, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's some excitement. We've had a, we've had a good energy and buzz about us all all morning. It's felt like a long day waiting for the game. Um, you know, so I, I think obviously it, it, it's a championship game for, you know, first one for a lot of them, but um, they're going to be ready. As you talk about getting ready for this game and trying to bring a few more fans out to the Thomas and Mac, your team is five and zero inside the TNM this year. What does that extra excitement do for the team to have that kind of crowd in the TNM, especially in this kind of environment? Well, that's, that's what we're building and we're working for, you know. Um, uh, we, we love playing in the Cox Pavilion. It's, it's a nice, you know, unique environment for us in an intimate small setting, but ultimately, you know, I, I want to have so many fans that we have to be in the Thomas and Mac because we need, we need more space to, to hold them all. So, 
Um, you know, the Thomas and Mac is uh, just a, a, a wonderful arena. You know, it's had a lot of really good players play there. And, you know, just the tradition is awesome. And so I think our team is just comfortable and um, we've been able to play well. And, you know, it, it's been good to us. And for those who don't know, obviously you have all the history that anyone could have in this particular city and, and seeing UNLV and a lot of those players you just mentioned growing up. Uh, what has been your experience with this community as you've built up the program the last couple of years and the reception that you and your team have gotten as you've had this great success here in the last two seasons? Um, well, we're, we're really excited, obviously, about how we're playing and the direction the program is going. And, you know, I think everyone plays a part in that, obviously, our staff, our administration, the players, of course, um, and the community as well. And so, uh, you know, we do have a lot of local talent um, on our team. And then, obviously, myself, you know, born and raised here. Uh, so we carry that pride with us. And, uh, you know, it's a privilege to represent our awesome, you know, city and, and community at this level. And, and we want to do it to the very best of our ability. And, you know, we're, we're just excited to, you know, c- continue the, the march forward for UNLV. Talking to UNLV Lady Rebels head coach Lindy LaRock as the Lady Rebs get ready to play in the Mountain West title game tonight against Colorado State down at the Thomas and Mac. You can get your tickets at UNLVtickets.com or just walk up to the stadium and you will be able to get your tickets for tonight. Uh, One of the things that people don't always know about the Mountain West, the schedule has a little quirk where you don't always play every team in your conference twice, and you have that situation this year with Colorado State. You played them on the back half of that trip to Wyoming not all that long ago. how does that change how you prepare for them, if at all, uh, with only having seen Colorado State the one time and having played them fairly recently? Um, I, don't, I don't know if it changes. If anything, you know, I, I kind of like it because that game is more fresh in our team's mind than, you know, our, our previous Air Force games or, or some of the games earlier in the year. You know, so from a scouting perspective, we went through our scouting report today, and, and that game still – you know, resonates with them, you know, and I don't have to, like, kind of re-explain how the game went, um, you know. So uh, I think that's that's helpful, uh, but also, obviously, that works, you know, in Colorado State's favor, too. Um, you know, and then not playing them twice, that's just kind of how the schedule fell. And, you know, I don't think it's advantage, disadvantage, anything, um, you know, because, again, you know, some of the regular season stuff doesn't really matter. We know they're a very good team. They're obviously really hot right now, um, and we're going to have to come out and play well. Uh, and defend and rebound. Coaches always talk about wanting to have players lead the team at times. So before this game, you know, halftime, who are the players on the Lady Rebels who, you know, have consistently kind of stepped up to to speak instead of you at times? Well, obviously our point guard, Essence Booker, you know, she's just been um, just a steady force and, and being really consistent. And, you know, she she's kind of like, the the me on the on the court we're really connected on the same page so she's been great um and then obviously desi you know she's just so commanding you know her personality um to go along with her play uh obviously the te- her her teammates really respect her and you know she's just so willing to do whatever they're saying or whatever we're saying and and she has the right mindset about it so you know those two have a have a look in their eyes this week that you know they're really determined so i'm sure glad they're on our team yeah, they were very serious uh, in the press conference last night. You know, kind of looked like, hey, mission not accomplished. And 
Desiree is one of my favorite players. Desiree Young won the uh, Player of the Year in the conference, and you know the reason I, I I like watching her at times. There there is an element of uh, big players in basketball when they're a little more physical and sometimes a little bit reckless and kind of scary. Like there's an element as a defender, like am I going to get freaking elbowed in the chops here? And Desiree goes hard. I mean, it actually, it actually is. She's hard to defend, but it's also it can be a little treacherous in the lane. And she plays really, really hard. You know, I kind of bumped into her the other day, and I was like, my gosh, she's like solid muscle. Um, you know, and she's just she's just uh, she plays hard. She's really athletic, and she kind of plays with, like you said, some of that recklessness of when she wants to go get that ball. For the most part, there's no one stopping her, and unless they're you know tackling her or. or, or bringing her down so um you know again you know she's just she she's been really really good for us obviously with you know getting the respect of being named the conference player of the year you know she's just so deserving if uh, justice etheridge is your lockdown defender is there a player you concentrate on tonight against csu yeah i mean they're they're two guards their their backcourt is really good you know half shield and atusu they're they're uh experienced players um, and they both put up a lot of points for them. So uh, Justice is going to have her hands full with uh, Upe Atusu. She's just she's a really good player, grad transfer. Um, you know, honestly, she kind of plays like a pro in a lot of ways. She's just you can tell she's she's older than the majority of the players out there. Um, you know, and Justice was able to really you know kind of put some handcuffs on her the first game. So I know she's going to be uh, um, you know I know I know she's going to be ready to play. And that's a program with some pretty good tradition, especially going back to the you know the mid two thousand tens. And their coach now, I think, has four hundred and fifty career wins. So I don't think they're coming into this like, hey, we we've got no shot. I mean, they have expectations of playing in the postseason. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're a championship program. Um, you know, Coach Ryan Williams, he does a really really good job. He's been in he's been in this game, you know, more than more than others. And so uh, you know, they they kind of had a little bit of an up and down year, but they're sure playing well at the right time and. You know, they're, it, when when you get to this point, it's not, you know, everyone is going to give it all they all they've got. You know, they, you know, someone's just not going to show up. So uh, we know that they're going to come with their best, and so we're going to do the same. What do you tell some of your uh, your bench players going into this who maybe don't have experience playing, you know, in a in a game like this, and Obi Eiser and your two freshmen? Yeah, well, I think it's you know just staying composed and doing what they do. You know, again, I think there's going to be some jitters and the, and the typical butterflies before the game. But once it goes up, you know, you, you kind of forget what's at stake and just go out there and play. Um, you know, so as coaches, we're going to do a great job of trying to put them in, you know, positions where they, we know they can be successful. Um, but as long as they stick together um, and they stay tough uh, and, and really communicate, I'm, I'm confident they'll kind of just bring each other along and, and play off of one of one another's energy um, and, you know, be able to do some good things tonight. Coach, we appreciate the time. We know the game is just a few hours away. You want to throw it out there one more time to the audience, uh, you know, a little push to come on out and support the run for the bid here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've had a great crowd, but if there's any game to come out to, it's a championship game. Um, you know, there's a lot at stake, and more than anything, this team is so deserving. Um, they love this city. And, you know, I know the city loves them in return, but it's one thing to say that, but then, you know, come come put your body where, where your mouth is and come show up and, and cheer loud for us. Thanks, Coach. We'll see you here. All right. Thanks, guys. There she is, Lindy LaRock, second-year head coach for the Lady Rebels, local legend as a player. Candy, what do you when you watch this team, 
what has changed from, say, three, four years ago? I mean, I think it's a deeper team and probably more talented team, but is there a vibe around the team that's a little different? There absolutely is. And I mean, for those who don't know, I, I was the play-by-play broadcaster for the better part of 11 years for this team. And what you feel right now is what you just heard from Lindy LaRock. There is a quiet confidence about this team that – I wouldn't say is something that I saw in all of the years that I was around the Lady Rebels, and I think it comes directly from her. And you have a team that on the court, there's so many interchangeable parts. They can play the game so many different ways. They can have a different player lead them. You try to someone down on this team, there is someone else who is going to step up and make the plays. They can beat you offensively. They can beat you defensively. This is one of the better teams I have ever seen come out of the UNLV women's basketball program. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Whoa! To beat a man, you got to beat the man, and that's what Aaron Rodgers is supposed to do. The four o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at seven zero two five seven seven twenty six hundred. I'm pausing on this one. The gift that keeps on giving candy right to the top of the list of the football frenzy. NFL news is in. The gift that keeps on giving is the owners of the National Football League. You know, I was intrigued last night to read that uh, Bobby Kraft is is actually now engaged to his 49-year-old girlfriend. I think Bobby's 83. We know Dan Snyder is a swell fella with the ladies. By the way, I didn't even mention Bobby in South Florida and his good times. We know about the Cowboys and the payoff that was kind of snuffed out and kept quiet for five years. Some creep leering, videoing the cheerleaders. Uh, Also, I think uh, trying to get upskirt photos of Joan's daughter. It is the gift, a sick one, that the league's owners keep on giving. And now we've got allegations against Jerry Jones. I guess they're not. Are they allegations? What's going on here? Are we we talking about a a child on the way for Jarrah? I don't know about on the way, Cofield. Um, Oh, We might be a little late. Is I that right? To this, we're a little late to, this. A little late to the story. Maybe is this, twenty-five is this a, years is this too a co- late. Is this a college student? Uh, yeah, I mean, only in about her seventh year, if that's the case. Um, really? All right. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you know what? When this time, when when Jarrah went drilling, he uh, got a little more than he bargained for. Uh, you know, the Jarrah definitely made his fortune in oil. Uh, apparently, he has a daughter was able to live off a trust fund because Jarrah set it up so that no one would ever know that he had this daughter. 
Oh, wow. Oh, Jared had a relationship in the 90s with a woman named Cynthia Davis, had a daughter named Alexandra. All right. Cofield, were you – but let me ask you a question these, before we these get to the story. These, these things happen. Okay, it's true. Ha, uh, you watch a lot of reality television. Are you familiar with Big Rich Texas? Uh, no. Huh. That's shocking to me. This seems like a show that would be right up your alley. I'm um, excited. What is it? Well, well, apparently the the two women involved here, the woman who had the relationship with Jerry Jones, allegedly, and the daughter, uh, starred in the third and final season of Big Rich Texas, a reality show based in Dallas that flo- followed five wealthy women and their daughters. And at the time, uh, it said that Cynthia Davis, the mom, was living off a trust fund. I'm going to guess we know where that came from. So anyway, the Dallas Morning News found this lawsuit by the daughter saying that she no longer wants to live by the agreement that she can't acknowledge that Jerry Jones is her father. She wants to be able to scream it from the hilltops, man. She wants to say, I am the daughter of Jera. I wonder if that has anything to do with wanting a piece of the Cowboys. I don't know. That's entirely, you know. Might be spec- speculative. Uh, Jerry's getting a little older, getting up there in years. He's got three wow. other kids to think about. Um, you know, uh, th- I'm just saying, Steve. Jerry's got bigger problems on his hands than Carson Wentz coming into the division today. We uh, we saw the same thing unfold with the Broncos, right? Where you had a, a Pat Bowen relationship and and child emerge when the ownership future was in question. Listen, it happens. It happens. So, you you are. I didn't mean. To, I, no, I didn't mean. To hold sound, on a second. I didn't mean you to sound sir, so jubilant over it. Yeah, but. you sir, dismissing this a little well, quickly. A little. Well, the thing uh, is, the thing is, I, I, I think I, the Cofield doth protest too little. Well, I, uh, what, I, what, what are we? What are we hiding here? I still. What, I still feel. Like, uh, that, I, that's exact. I still have not gone to uh, twenty three and me. Just yeah, to check. I know why. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you, you don't know. You don't know. So, I, hey, I'm. I am not going to name names. I'm just going to tell you that a person in my life told me a 23andMe story recently yeah. that blew me away. Half-brothers and sisters all right, over the right, place right, they right. didn't know about. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want to do the 23andMe thing unless I'm going to find out. Unless I'm going to find out that my mom has not told me about a relationship she had with Jerry Jones because I would like a little piece of the cowboy pie. <laughs> Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. To be born and raised here in Las Vegas and to be doing it for UNLV, it definitely means a little bit more. And and we carry that with us, you know, on the hard days or when you want to take a play off. I think those are the things that they, they think about. You know, I'm really proud of them. To be here and, and represent our community um, is a privilege. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Mack. Big couple of days here for Lady Rebels basketball and running Rebels basketball. Coming up at 7 o'clock tonight, you can come on down to the Thomas and Mack, check out the Lady Rebels as they're going for the bid. They win tonight against Colorado State. They're into the NCAA tournament, and then uh, early session tickets are available tomorrow. Thursday quarterfinals, which are always awesome. Rebels tip off, runner Rebels tip off at 2.30 as they're going to have to win this tournament to get a bid, and they certainly can play with everyone in the field. 
and they'll open up against the Wyoming team they beat last week. So feeling some good energy, feeling some good UNLV energy, and let's bring in Caleb Herring, who, of course, played football at UNLV, quarterback, and one of the voices of the Rebel football program. Caleb, how are you feeling, buddy? I'm, I'm feeling good, man. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good about that news, about UNLV trending and having some positive things going forward, even if it is on the hardwood, not between the lines yet. Um, but, yeah, excited about UNLV trending in the, the right direction. And the Lady Rebels, uh, you know, like you heard coming in, Lindy LaRock talking about the fact that, you know, she's from Vegas. She's got players on the team who are Las Vegans. And, man, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool someday um, for Marcus Arroyo to get to the, you know, get the program, the football program to the point where they're, you know, they're getting more than their fair share of, uh, you know, three stars in town and maybe every once in a while a four-star. Yeah, it, I, it'd it be huge, I think, for building the culture up. And I think a lot of the things that she said as far as having pride in the community that, that you're playing. And I think there's a there's an intangible element there that you can't really measure with, with a stat or with, with, with numbers. But um, having that pride in the community and, and bolstering the community aspect of a university, I think, is is underrated. I think if we start to get some of the, the top talent in Vegas to stay in Vegas and, and be at UNLV, it can only mean good things for the university. So hopefully Marcus does get that ship rolling. Let's talk about the NFL and what went down the last couple of days. First of all, Russell Wilson is traded. I thought the haul Seattle got back was okay. I'm not blown away by it. I didn't think it was terrible. But I am still trying to wrap my head around an organization that may be rebuilding – but they still have their 70-year-old head coach. And I don't want to be an ageist. He's going to coach till he's 76, 77 years old. I, I don't know. This whole thing reeks of, of ego where Russell Wilson spoke up. And once again, the Seahawks brass is like, "Now nah, you don't do that here. You're out of here. It, it's like the complete counterpoint to Green Bay, right? Like it's like the, the opposite reaction. It's like, oh, in Green Bay, yes, we'll do everything you say. We'll give you whatever you want, Aaron. And we just want you to stay in Green Bay and be a Packer for life. Yeah. Then it's like Russell Wilson's like, uh, you're good, but you ain't worth all that. Like, you know, we're not going to hold everything for you. Um, and it does, in a sense, feel like basically saying we're going to hit the reset button and blow things up. And it is odd that there's a 70-year-old head coach that really hasn't even become into question as far as his security in Seattle. Um, but the fact that that is the case, and I, like I'll, I'll say this, just to avoid any, um, any accusations of ageism. Pete Carroll is the most youthful 70-year-old I've ever seen in my life. So he's, he's, it's not like he's not capable, I don't think, of coaching still. But it's just I don't think he even wants to be a part of a rebuild, a complete rebuild at this point. And with the haul you got back from the Broncos, it would seem that rebuild is in mind. Uh, and that, you know, the, the picks versus the players, I think, is, is, is one of the big things I always look at. When you get a bunch of picks instead of actual players on the field, um, and then especially when you now have a huge question mark at quarterback. Drew Locke's not the quarterback of the future for the Seahawks rebuild, I would hope. I don't think that's the case. But so now they're now in the market for a quarterback. And that's a pretty big piece to be looking for this offseason, especially when a couple of major players are already off the board with Aaron Rodgers and everybody's hope for him being available, um, being gone too, and Tom Brady retiring. So there, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of reasons to doubt what Seattle has brewing over there. Um, so I, I, I'm with you. I'm, I'm – I, I'm speculating if this is the great move for Seattle. I think the Broncos definitely won the trade, but it's just a matter of what is Seattle's outlook and, and DK Metcalf and, and Lockett, they're kind of stuck in purgatory right now. It's like, well, hey, I, I signed on thinking we had at least our quarterback figured out and you guys are going to work on the defensive side. But but now what? Like, am I supposed to, you know, 
get my pro ball numbers with Drew Locke as my quarterback? Is that is that what we're expecting here? So who knows what's going to happen in Seattle? We'll see if they can figure it out before the offseason ends. And I mean, it's a long way to go, but we'll see if they have any answers at quarterback. But Caleb, I'll go beyond the speculation. Seattle ownership is out of its mind because it's not so much that they've chosen Pete Carroll at whatever age he's at. It's that they've chosen Pete Carroll's philosophy on football, which is a philosophy that consistently took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands, that took them back to trying to play a running clock, a running game, run the clock, play field position, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that that has been proven in today's NFL not to work anymore. Like, this is a passing league, and trading an elite quarterback to sign up for more of Pete Carroll's philosophy to me feels like dooming the Seattle franchise for however long they want Carroll to be there because it's it, we've shown that no matter what coordinator you bring in, nothing changes with Pete Carroll and the Seattle Seahawks. And so here we are in 2022 with Russell Wilson gone. And to your point about rebuilding, they let Bobby Wagner go too. And if anything's going to say, right. we're done. I mean, look at them getting the offensive and defensive captains off this team. So no, I don't think it's crazy at all for you to point out that they've chosen Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson. And if beyond the star players, Caleb, how does any player in that Seattle locker room get excited to come out for 2022? Well, it's hard, especially, I mean, you've got what's been the, 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 the spiritual even more than anything, but physical leaders on both sides of the ball, like you mentioned, that are not there anymore. So who's going to be that voice? Who's going to, you know, get the, the troops rallied when it's a tough day? You don't know. That's a question mark. It's hard. So it's a, there's a void for somebody to step up in that hasn't been there in Seattle for the past decade, right? So somebody's going to have to do it. Um, and that's a question mark. Um, I'm, I'm going to push back a little bit on the philosophy of Pete Carroll not being able to work. And just for this reason, I, I think it's we haven't given the philosophy its chance to work. I think the last time it did kind of work, the, the, the Seattle franchise has reason to say, yeah, it worked. It got us to the Super Bowl. And if not for one play where we decided to put the ball in Russell Wilson's hand, we may be two time Super Bowl champions. Right. And we're talking about the interception on the one yard line that Russell Wilson threw where everybody in the world probably said, hand it to Marshawn Lynch and let him go the yard for the touchdown. But that's another story. But it's one of those things where everyone in the NFL is trying a formula that that's really only worked for a couple of teams. And it's similar to what basketball went through with Golden State. And everybody tried to mimic their rosters based on what Golden State had success with. But nobody really succeeded with a three pointer. It's just a bunch of teams, you know, think they're going to emulate. The, the Golden State Warriors. And now it's a bunch of teams that think they're going to emulate Patrick Mahomes and, and, and that style of play or Buffalo Bills. But it's not really the case. And we saw this kind of happen in the NFL with the Rams and the greatest show on turf and how that offense was so magnificent and teams kind of tried to emulate it then. But, you know, there's different philosophies that can prevail. And I think Pete Carroll's philosophy can prevail. I don't know if it's right for Seattle. They don't have the personnel clearly at this point to make that work. And we'll see what they can do with the picks that they have and, and with any free agencies moves that they can make to kind of bolster this roster. But it ain't going to happen overnight. And it's not going to be next season where we're talking about the Seahawks as, as contenders, whereas the Broncos maybe have a legitimate shot to be considered contenders with the move that they made to go get Russell Wilson and the rest of the roster they have built around it. So maybe we can find a middle ground on this, Caleb, because I think what we're talking about here is not just about Seattle trying to or Denver, or anybody else trying to become the Chiefs. But let's use your analogy with three-pointers in the NBA. 
not everybody can be Golden State. I mean, nobody can be Golden State because nobody has Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. But we have seen that league-wide over the last 10 years, the trend toward shooting more three-pointers, more layups, less you know, contested two-point shots is something that everyone has adopted as a more efficient way of playing football. Now, you can try to go uh, or play, playing basketball. You can try to go against the grain in football and say, well, if everybody's passing, we're going to win by running. Uh, but at the same time, you have to do it at such a level of efficiency the way the Titans have with Derrick Henry that it's kind of hard to, to win otherwise. So I guess the question for, for me is, what would you need to see out of a team like Seattle? What would a Pete Carroll philosophy have to have in terms of personnel on the field to be able to succeed doing things the way he wants to do it? Well, I think you'd have to see, first of all, a dominant front four on uh, defensively. Um, that would be number one. Um, and then you'd have to be a, a fast defense. I think just to counteract what everybody else does offensively, I think you have to have speed on defense and coverability. Um, those things, I think, are the two pieces you need. And that could come in a variety of different forms. Whether you're going to be a zone scheme or a man scheme is up to you. But you have to have speed and, co- and the ability to cover on the back end and a solid front four. Um, that's number one. Then you have to have an efficient run game. And it doesn't have to be you know, the, the, the explosive big plays, 2,000-yard rusher, but just a balanced run attack that has a complementary play-action attack. And I think that the, it's actually an easier formula to attain roster-wise than looking for the next Tyreek Hill or looking for the next Patrick Mahomes or looking for these once-in-a-generation players to build your philosophy around, whereas the football, the concept of football as a team sport, I think, uh, lends itself easier to this philosophy of run the ball effectively, uh, stop the run on defense, and get off the field on third down. That's like a, a, a formula that's as old as, as football itself. That's worked. When you watch it happen, it works a lot. And, and, and it, it, even teams that struggle, and I, I use this example with people I talk to, the Kansas City Chiefs were struggling early last season, and they broke their offense down and simplified things. Yes, for Patrick Mahomes individually, but for their team as a whole, they simplified their game plans. They ran the ball more effectively during the meat of the season. Even during the playoffs, they ran the ball effectively, and everything about the offense got easier. And there's something I can't really explain the mystery of why this is so, but when you are able to run the ball in the NFL or in football in general, things get easier everywhere else. And I think focusing your efforts on building a solid run game may be an easier thing to do than finding the next Patrick Mahomes or finding that special once-in-a-generation passer that just makes all your mistakes uh, go away, right? Like the pass or the three-pointer is the eraser of mistakes, right? You don't have to be perfect because if you hit it every now and then, the points multiply a lot faster. That's kind of the thinking behind it. But if you can consistently get layups every trip down the court, I would 100% take Joel Embiid, uh, Joel Embiid in the post rather, and, and have the game on the line down two with that than Steph Curry from behind the arc, as great as it looks, behind the arc from the logo shooting the three. Right. There's no doubt in my mind that I'd rather take Joel and be banging in the post in that scenario. But that's just the philosophy. And I think it's the battle of those two ideals playing out before our eyes right now with the Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson thing. And I guess in Seattle's case, Pete Carroll won. Caleb Herring's with us. We're talking about all the uh, quarterback moves the last couple of days in the National Football League. Are the Broncos with Russell Wilson now the second best team in the AFC West? Uh, no, I don't. I don't know for sure who is, but I would. I would lean to say, and sorry for the homers out there. I would lean to say that the Chargers. I would be more confident saying that the Chargers are the second team with what they did in re-signing Keenan Allen, 
um, with with Bosa still being on the defensive side, with Mike Williams as well, and with uh, with Justin Herbert kind of coming into his 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 own here as a, a legitimate MVP candidate, the way he's played this last season, and and who knows where where he's going to end up. But I would say right now for for this division, which is a tough division, right? It's, I mean, arguably it was last year, arguably one of the toughest divisions of football, and this year for sure. I'd say it's it's leading the pack as far as the toughest divisions. Um, I would say the Chargers are, are right there, number two. But it's going to be close. It's not by much that any of these teams separate themselves. I think the Kansas City Chiefs, when they're hot, definitely the top dog. Um, but who's fighting for that second spot? It's going to be tough. And, and listen, there's a lot that we have to – this is the first time we've seen Russell Wilson outside of Seattle, and we don't know how that's going to mesh up right away. Right. And if we've we've learned one thing about superstars changing locations, it doesn't always pan out to its max potential in that first season. Right. I mean, LeBron and, and D Wade in, in Miami and how however other many times we've seen it where superstar caliber players move locations. It takes them a while to build that chemistry up um, in order to produce wins on the field. So we'll see if the Broncos can hit the ground running and what other moves they make this offseason to bolster up that defense again. And um, and we'll see. But right now, I'd say the Chargers number two. And unfortunately, the Raiders and the Broncos duking it out for number three as far as contenders in the division. Should the Packers move on Jordan Love? And Candy wants to know, should the Raiders try to get Jordan Love if he's cheap? Uh, you know, I don't know the value that the Raiders would get from him because uh, he, he'd essentially come and do what he's doing in Green Bay, which is sit behind the starter um, until he's ready to go. Um, I don't see the Raiders making any push. I mean, if he falls into your lap, yeah, I'd take him. But there's no, I think, need to push for the backup quarterback spot when you've got so many other gaps on your roster, namely on the defensive side, that you need to sew up this offseason to make sure that you make the most of Derek Carr in what could be his final stint with the Raiders or unless you plan to extend him. Um, but I think the Packers haven't done themselves any favors with the way they've handled this Jordan Love, Aaron Rodgers situation. It almost feels like Jordan Love is such an afterthought that they're willing to do anything, literally, to, to make sure Aaron Rodgers stays because he's not the answer. Um, it would seem like, you know, the way they handled Brett Favre and his retirement situation because they knew they kind of liked the guy behind him. Now, I think everybody else around the league is looking at Jordan Love like, hey, what's the big secret? Why aren't you guys letting this young guy get his shake at things? He's only thrown, I think, 70 passes total, maybe not even that, as an NFL player. It's like, why, why, hasn't we, why haven't we seen more of this guy? Is he damaged goods? Is, is, was he, a, is he a, an undercover bust right now? Um, so I don't know. I don't know if Jordan Love has the value. You haven't seen enough of him in the NFL for the Raiders in their position this offseason to be making any moves to acquire him, even to replace Marcus Mariota, who I think was a quality backup quarterback who, who got them through some stuff this season, especially. So, um, no, but no, Jordan Love, I don't think is something that the Raiders should be actively seeking. If he falls to him, they'll take him. Caleb, is this correct? Are you the only person on the show aside from Willie who's taken my advice and started watching Euphoria? I and my wife, we are avid Euphoria fans. We yes, have been yes. since the, the show aired. And I'm a fan of Zendaya, number one. She is uh, she, in another life, you know, in another life. But that's all I'll say about that. Um, Zendaya is one of my favorites. So the show, in turn, became one of my favorites. And it actually is um, a great show. And it, the show that people often compare it to is 13 Reasons Why. And... 13 Reasons Why is amateur hour compared to what Euphoria <laughs> is as far as the realism and the graphic nature of it and the storytelling. I, I have a tough time watching shows like this because in my, my life experience and my profession, 
um, I, I often get nervous about romanticizing real life issues on the big screen or the small screen in this case. Um, but I think Euphoria does a really good job of, of being gritty, making it, I think, more targeted for adults who don't understand the reality of teenage life and drug dealing and how prevalent it is in the life of high schoolers these days. I think it does a better job of addressing that audience instead of catering its message for teenagers to potentially glorify the drug life. But Euphoria is great. I, it's a great show. It's a very adult show, so got to be mature to digest it. But um, I, I, I love Euphoria. And I, and, I'm, and, I'm excited uh, for season three. <laughs> oh, OK. All right. Well, then I, I was going to give you a spoiler, but I'm not going to do it now. I'm not going to do it now. So what, whoa, 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 whoa! What's the spoiler, Steve? What, what you know? Something I don't know? I watched the finale. Is there is there something after? Well, no, no. Um, I don't want to ruin it for the audience. I'll just say that for for some reason, someone who was running the ESPN Sports Center Twitter account after the finale decided to kind of frame Ashtray as a hero, and you being in law enforcement would understand that there was a lot of backlash after that. That's we'll just leave it at that. Uh, yeah. I see. I see. Yeah. So we will yeah. have to talk That's, about that off I'm the air. Anyone, I'm even more excited. Any, anyone who did watch, anyone who did watch. Yeah. You gotta be, gotta be careful on that one. Um, oh, I, I can't wait, man. I want to, I, I got it. We got to talk about, about euphoria next right. time I see you off air. All right. We will. <laughs> all right, Caleb. I'll talk to you, buddy. All right, guys. Have a good one. Candy's looking at me like, what is going on here? Oh no! I like it's it's kind of the same as when when my ex and and my mom used to get into a conversation about like having their nails done. I just go off into another <laughs> universe and wait till I hear a keyword to bring me back. There you go. Uh, let's give away some show tickets, concert tickets. Daughtry's in town. The dearly beloved tour, the nineteenth of March theater, Virgin Hotel. You can get your own tickets at axs.com. We've got a pair of tickets right now. Ari has them. Call her seven three six four eleven hundred. But. Yeah, March 19th, Daughtry is back in town at Virgin inside the theater. March 19th, we've got your tickets, 364-1100. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Gambling. I'm going to kill your bookmaker. I'm going to rip his throat out. I will step on his throat until the man chokes. Let me tell you how. Winners, 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 winners. Free, 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 free. So, Candy, I apologize. Uh, earlier in the show, as I so often do, I just start snapping on you when you try to, you know, take it in a certain direction. I, I don't know what I was doing earlier. But you were, you were trying uh, during the conversation with uh, Mike O'Donnell, who's a Mountain West Conference analyst for CBS, you were trying to throw out there which team is best equipped to not only win. No, actually, what you tried to throw out there is which team is best equipped to make a run after this tournament, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, that's... That's where I was headed. I'm just kind of now, an hour later, recovering from uh, <laughs> from, from the, your rudeness that I'm. Uh, it, it happens so often. I forget. I, need I forget. yeah. I'm I'm just sort of beaten down by it at this point. But no, I honestly think if you look at what team can do the damage when it comes to the tournament, it's for me. It's Colorado State. Uh, when when you have a player like Roddy, Roddy is the kind of player where in the right game he is going to cause all sorts of problems in the right matchup. And he is tough to guard because of his inside-outside. 
And if you pair him with Stevens, and if Stevens can break down a defense and if Roddy can force a defense to have to adjust to him as well, that's the kind of thing that I don't think any other team in the Mountain West can do because of the fact that we've seen Maldonado and we've seen Ike and we've seen that if you get Ike more than 15 feet away from the basket, he is not a useful player against better teams and against teams with length and size. So I don't want to see a Boise State or a San Diego State into the tournament and do what we've always seen these teams try to do, which is grind you down and win a 49-48 game because most teams that they're going to face in an 8-9, in a 7-10 are going to have enough shooting or enough ability to get to the line to make that move. I'm going to throw this one at you, and I don't think I'm going to get a good greeting back as a guy who is an official. I've seen several fans on Twitter say over the last month or so that because so many charges are called in the Mountain West Conference that the conference teams, once they get to the big dance and those calls aren't made and they're expecting those calls, fall short. <laughs> well, here's how I would fight back on that. If you don't like the refs in the Mountain West Conference, you probably should watch the Pac-12, the West Coast, because they're all the same officials. These guys work all the same games. If you don't like what one official does Wednesday night in the Mountain West, don't turn on the Pac-12 on Friday night because you're going to see them again. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.